When you think about our uh, various product golden rules, their number that requires not only once the results are produced, you also have to use those results and help help the user of those results understand what they mean and uh, get away from just the technical engineering language to really something that the more in the attributes that the designer is familiar with and, and, and can use. So I think there's a great opportunity to really get into for life cycle and sustainability professionals to begin to understand the language of the, the user, whether that's the innovation team or the business, but growing revenue, uh, enhancing your brand, mitigating risk or reducing cost and the various subcomponents of that and be able to take the results of your environmental sustainability assessment and be able to translate that using the language of the, the user. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're having a great week. My guest today needs no introduction because he's been on a, our show a number of times, but it is Jim Fava. And Jim has been really sharing the golden rules of sustainable innovation. And we've had some great, great episodes. We've had four so far, and we're working through his Jim's 10 golden rules, which have been really interesting. And we're we're kind of coming down to the to the end of, of the golden rules. And this is going to put a bow on. It won't be the end of our conversations with Jim. Certainly, he'll be on the show again. But the end of kind of this, this series that we've been talking about of what are these golden rules. So, Jim, welcome back to the show. Well, Paul, thanks for the, the opportunity. And I'm uh, looking forward to continuing our conversation, not only uh, covering the golden rules, but also as we continue to collaborate and how to uh, really – accelerate and scale the application of sustainability to innovation. Uh, the, the golden rules have been something that evolved over, I don't know, five to 10 year period working with a variety of companies around, around the world. And we had, the, the time progressed, we had started realizing there are certain things that were critical if a company is going to be successful in uh, moving away from just complying with uh, the legal requirements to really using sustainability as a how you might shape the future and how you might really grow revenue and enhance your brand, very positive business value kind of thing. And so what we had done was to come up with the 10 golden rules. And the, the first podcast is really an introduction to me and sustainability in a broad sense and just an introduction of the golden rules. The second podcast, we really focused on who is the audience and how do we communicate with them and a lot of the time you think the audience is the environmental sustainability folks, but really it's the, it's the governance. It's the, the people who are managing the company. And then you have to understand what their language is. It's not necessarily greenhouse gas reduction or biodiversity. It's things like you know, growing revenue, enhancing brand, reducing cost, mitigating risk, those kind of terminology. So we had a good podcast there. The third podcast was really what is product lifecycle assessment and why should I care? And it was, uh, people have called me the father of life cycle assessment because very early on in the early 90s, I had the privilege and honor to chair a few workshops where we sort of coined the term life cycle assessment. And then now it's been developed through ISO and a variety of other things. So now we have good, credible methodology because of all the standardization work. But then the podcast three was really, there's no such thing as a green product, only greener products. 
podcast. The, the second one of that was life cycle really provides an understanding over the entire life cycle. So it's not just a manufacturing or end of life, it's that full cradle to grave perspective. And the final golden rule we had on the podcast three was really life cycle information is important, but it's, it's sort of essential, but not sufficient. You still need other information in terms of design decisions kind of thing. So it's put in place. And the last podcast we did together, Paul, was uh, podcast four, Achieving Positive Impacts Require Change. And so when you get the results of the sustainability and maturity assessment or life cycle assessment, you still have to people who are in, in, in innovation have to use that information. They have to understand that information and use that information to drive change in their design and the, the, the whole uh, stage gate. Uh, process. And it's only when you get that, the results applied and used and chain occurs in the design, you actually can achieve those positive sustainability impact uh, and business uh, business impacts. So today, what we want to do is really focus on the last three. First one is golden rule five. If you don't know your designation, any tool will get you there. And I'll describe that a little bit. And then golden rule seven is meet them where they are. And each company is going to have their own strategy. We're going to be compliant with the legal requirements or all the way up to we're going to be companies like you know, Unilever. We want to shape shape the future. And the third of the this fifth podcast is really there is a growing life cycle community out there. I mean, there are, I think, as I said, initially there was maybe 100, less than 100 in the early late 80s and early 90s when we had these earlier CTAC workshops at the beginning of ISO. And now I, I suspect there's probably tens of thousands, and that's going to even grow, you know, as the 700,000 product managers begin to look at lifecycle thinking, sustainability into their innovation process, they're going to be part of that broader sustainability lifecycle community. So that's sort of a, a quick background on where we, where we are and where we've been. But today I want to now get into this podcast, Golden Rule 5. So... Golden Rule 5 is if you don't know your destination, any tool will get you there. And I don't know, when I was a, a kid, I used to love the movie Alice in Wonderland. It was one of my favorite characters in that movie was the Cheshire the Cat. And a line that always resonated with me over the years was, if you don't know your destination, any road will get you there. And if you remember the interface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I we, we sort of looked at that and said, well, it's logically you could adjust it to if you don't know your destination, any tool will get you there. And so that became sort of a, a direction when we talked to companies and clients would call us up and say, hey, Jim, we'd like to go ahead and do some kind of a, a, a life cycle study. And I said, well, why would you want to do that? And they said, well, we just want to do it. I said, well, that's OK. But if you don't know how you want to use that information, it may be just a meaningless effort and you, you may not get much value out of it. And so what we really found was that as you really move forward with any kind of tool development or action, you really have to know what the end, what the end looks like when you're done. What does success uh, look like? And so with that kind of experience, we sort of then began to think about anytime you're really going to develop a, use a tool or any kind of assessment, you really have to know where the future looks like before you can decide how to get there, perspective. And I don't know if you, Paul, have heard this f phrase or this, this paradigm they have. It's called an ACDB framework, capital A, little c, little d, capital B. 
And it was introduced to me by one of the gentlemen that I collaborated with as part of this American Center for LCA, Forum for Sustainability Through Life Cycle Innovation, and the Society of Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry, sort of a multi-stakeholder group where we began to look at how to bring LCA to the beginning of innovation. And he introduced, well, that's a nice concept, but what's the future? What do we look like in success? And so it really was a sort of an eye-opening, although it really came down to some of the basic things we've had in some of the other golden rules. But the first thing you need to look at is the A, is where are we now? And that sort of looks at operating conditions, systems focus, some of the issues. And the outcome of that is how do we address problem A, X? What is the problem that really is surfacing and then where are we now? The second sort of component of that, where do we want to be? So once we understand this is where we are, and then where do we want to be? And so the, 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 this outcome of where do we want to be is something like we want to achieve X or we want to achieve Y. And so it gets clarity of this is, this is the problem. And now we want to know, okay, what the future looks like and how do we know we'll be successful? So those were, were, were critical. But then the C and the D, the C is what do we need to get there? And so we're going to do Z to get us to the, the future state kind of perspective. And then that's still more of a, the, a thematic kind of thing. Um, but then the, the D part is how do we actually make it happen? You know, what are the action plans? What are the steps? The, the, the tie back to the, you need to have that designation of destination of where you want to be to really decide what those tools are, which is in, in a way just the D. So you can't just look at the destination and the tool sort of separately. You got to also know the destination's got to be clear and you got to know where you are and you got to figure, okay, where you're going to sort of how you're going to get there and you got to come up with specific action plans. And if you remember in our last blog, we talked about the importance of having the future, the sort of the vision, the resources, the goals and that kind of thing, those five elements that we talked about. Then this sort of fits and ties into that pretty nicely. Let's just take a quick example. So the first question is, where are we now? So the focusing question how do we want to address problem X? So let's take this example because we're talking about life cycle and innovation. You know, the question maybe and the problem is we have is, you know, where are our important hotspots for which I want to use this to I want to understand in my stage gate process to really create sustainable products? So the company has a decision that says well, we want to have sustainable products, uh, but what are the hotspots? And so that the question is, how do we do that? So that's sort of current state. And the future state then is one of our, what is sort of implied is one of our corporate goals is that we want to develop and sell sustainable products. So I sort of combine those two a little bit, the problem and the, and the future. But then the question is, how do you get there? And so if you're going to look at hotspots over the product lifecycle, then the tool of LCA to identify those hotspots seems to be the right way to go to target the changes you need to make. <clears throat> so now you have the problem is that we want to figure out how to you know, identify the, the hotspots. The future is we want to have those hotspots to design sustainable uh, products, uh, and we're going to use lifecycle to identify the, you know, the hotspots uh, itself. So the, the D is you're going to conduct the LCA study. So now you've got a, the team includes sustainability lifecycle with the product managers and his and her team to collect to, together to really collect the data and analyze the data and then the people who are going to use the data are part of that team to really use the results to really 
bring LCA to the beginning of innovation. So this becomes a little illustrative example of how that ABCD framework works. And I find it to be very useful and it's sort of imperative in any kind of interaction. First thing I say, if someone talks about, well, what's going to be a success when you're done? So that becomes key. A, a very simpler example, Paul, it was a little more complex, but I think it, to me, it, it, it resonates very, very strongly, is that I got this example from one of our clients years ago, a chemical company out of Germany. He gave the example was, if a builder who wants to build a house with tools alone, he doesn't know what, the, and he doesn't have the design for the blueprint for the building, then he's useless. I mean, so you need a blueprint to really identify the tools. So without a blueprint, a tool will not bring a, a, a house. That's golden rule five. If you need to know where you're, you need to know where you're going to really select and use the right tools. And I find that to be very useful in about anything that I do across the board. Paul, any questions or any comments on that before I go to the next one? Definitely. I think when you think about what does success look like and you watch the evolution of what's happening, companies are getting sharper about that. We just got a new customer and somebody told me, hey, Paul, here's our new customer. Check them out. And I checked them out. And the first thing on their website, boom, before anything was was the sustainability message. And I said, okay, well, we've seen that before, right? <laughs> so let's let's dive into this and see if there's more substance to it. And there was, there was more substance where you can see now, instead of just saying, hey, we're going to be the leader in sustainability, or we're going to make, to your point, green products, even though there are no green products, right? That was a key, a key message, right? But they're all, oh, we're going to make green products. Now there's more meat on the bones coming from top leadership of companies. There's more definition of what success looks like. And I think it just, it just ties into the importance of this rule and, and, and getting that clear shared understanding. So I, I, I just, I think it was a, a good example to back up what you were just saying. No, that's great. And I do think that what we're trying to get at is they're just saying we want to be a sustainable company. That's yeah. It's meaningless. You, yeah. It, unless you dive down into a lot more in terms of what does it what does that mean to my operations? What does it mean to my suppliers? What does it mean to my customers? You need all of that level of detail to come up with what are those hotspots to drive your your corporate enterprise goals, which then are really brought down into the product product managers' goals and into innovation perspective. Yeah. Okay. So the next golden rule was golden rule seven. It says, meet them where they are. And this is a, a golden rule that really surfaced as part of our product sustainability roundtable. And we've talked about that before, but it was up to 20 companies that met two or three times a year. And they were from Europe and North America. And we really got around the question originally was, what is LCA and why should I care? Kind of a conversation. Uh, but then we really got into diving down into more detail, just as you just said, Paul. Um, and then the de debate really centered around not only what it is and why should I care, but should I even do anything? And so some of the company members sort of articulated that, well, I see the, the value of, of uh, what LCA can provide, but I have no customers. There's no government requirement uh, that's asking for it. <clears throat> and my company has not yet come up with a sort of a, a strategy that says, okay, we're going to incorporate environmental or social into our product product innovation process. So they said, well, it doesn't seem to apply to us. And then another company, two companies said, well, we don't have any immediate customers, 
but our senior managers are really interested in how do we position ourselves to be a leader in this very rapidly growing environmental sustainability sort of market out there. And so after we went back and forth a little bit, we really came up with four strategy levels that a company could take related to sustainability. And the first one is we call the compliant level. It's simply just meeting legal requirements. And you got, most companies have some kind of a, a legal technical group that looks at new regulations that come out of the EU or the US or Japan or Australia, New Zealand, et cetera, and find out what, you know, they, they sort of observe what they are, when they might occur. Will they be impacting me or not kind of thing? So that, that's sort of the compliant level. The next one is market driven. And this is really, as, as we see the, the evolution occurring, initially it was, everything was compliant level, and then next it moved to market driven. So customers are asking for it, our market is asking for it. The third one was what we call engaged or competitive, which really you engage the value chain and other stakeholders, which hopefully will identify opportunities faster. And there's a lot of, initially that was through trade associations, but most of the trade associations really focused on the legal requirements, and so more back to the compliance level perspective. And the fourth strategy that we've sort of evolved was shape the future. So the companies are shaping the future, ones that we want to develop products and services for the markets in the 21st century. And I think it was quite enlightening when we went through that. As companies began to move from a compliant to shape the future, there is increasing resources that are necessary, different types of stewardship responsibilities, communication and engagement that all are, are different. And each of those will give you a different degree of understanding of what LCA is and how LCA would apply. And so when you go back to the sort of the simplified version of this, you go back to, should I use LCA in, in my innovation process? And the compliant level, it's supposed to meet legal requirements. So if I am forced to do so, I will. M market driven is a customer, uh, you know, sort of requirement. If a client asks for it, I will. And then the third was engaged competitive. I see taking a proactive approach to use the LCA results because we are in a competitive position. They think because of the products, they would put them in a competitive position. And the shape of the future is I, I want to be seen as a leader in this space for both the commercial and positive uh, impacts. And there's a number of companies that sort of fall into that uh, category. And I think the part that I think was, was really interesting is that once we got through this, then the conversation and future PSRT meetings uh, and just other conversations we were having, it really helped us ask questions related to, do you have immediate customer who's asking for this? Are there new laws and compliance that might be required? And now, as you move forward and, you know, when we're into 2023, California has a new scope three greenhouse gas emissions requirement for larger industry. And you've got you know, the U.S. Green Building Council uh, activity. And so you're moving pretty quickly for companies who have all that in the marketplace. They're going to have to, at least initially, meet the legal requirements. But now their customer requirements and their government requirements, which almost fall back to the legal requirements. But there's still companies who want to distinguish themselves from just meeting compliance and just from a compliance and a customer perspective that really want to seen as shaping the future. So there's really no magic in these four levels. I, 
if you talk to other companies, they, they have different strategies and so forth. I mean, one of the ones that I, I, we did a big company, some work a long time ago for a, for an energy company. We sort of walked this through that and they said, well, we have a, we have a strategy. It's pretty clear. If we, if in the marketplace, if there's another company who's willing to break ground and it's whatever they're doing is successful in this environmental sustainability area, we pay attention. We follow our competitors pretty closely in the market. So if they're successful, we want to be known as the first to be second. So they went, somebody else tests, tests things out because not when people test things out, they don't always be successful. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. But in this case, they said, if something's successful, we're going to be right behind, we first to be second. So it just, there are different strategies, but part of the, the message is you really need to meet them where they are. And a lot of the earlier conversations that I had with customers is really to ask questions related to where they are on these four levels. And that gives me a good perspective of when they say I want to do an LCA or a materiality assessment, where that might fit into their strategy and where that might fit into their decision-making process. So I find this to be a very key key one. It's often one that when you talk to a sort of the, a mid-level person, they may not have good visibility on a lot of the details, but you talk to senior managers, they know exactly where they fall in, in this kind of level. They have their own terminology kind of thing. So that was golden rule seven, meet them where they are. So I don't know, Paul, do you have any experience with uh, these kind of strategy levels? Yeah. You know, Jim, I think this is excellent. Just like the ACDB framework, right? This fits so well with that. And I think uh, my experience has been to observe in our customers as they're moving through those levels, right? So some are still level compliant. That's it. And some are, are shape the future. It's very much a company decision as to which level they're in. But I think you articulating those four levels is really clear. So that's where you want to be, right? The ACDB. And then you mentioned, should I do something? And then it just naturally comes out of that. Can I do something? How do I do something? Right. But you contextualize that in those four levels. It's just really clear, Jim. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. And I think the thing that I find when I go back and rethinking through all this again for the in preparation for these conversations, <clears throat> excuse me, it, it seems to me that there's a lot of connectivity among these golden rules. Yeah. I and mean, they're not totally separate, but they're very complementary and build off of each other, I, I think, pretty pretty nicely. So just sort of an example that I, as, as you were talking, Paul, that reminded me, we had a client as part of the PSRT in the building sector. In early days, when the green building market really started to take off, they were bidding on a on a project with an architect to build a building. And they had know, 5 10% of the decision making was based on uh, some kind of a, an environmental product decoration is one way of producing the results of an LCA or presenting the results of the LCA to customers. And they didn't take it seriously. I said, no one has ever asked for this before. And we're not, we're going to ignore it. And it turned out they lost the work and they lost the work because they didn't have, didn't do that activity. So that was a big wake up call, not only for that customer or that company, but also for the whole members of the PSRT, because they said, wow, it is, people are doing this and making decisions based on the environmental criteria. Not the only one, obviously, but is now becoming a critical piece. And now the Green Building Council and the green building sector uh, are using environmental life cycle results pretty much universally 
across not only the U.S., Canada, but Europe, and uh, you know, Asia, Australia, New Zealand on a very regular basis. So, no, that's 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 good. So, my tenth golden golden rule, and this is our, our last of the ten, is there is a g- growing life cycle community, and it's really I really mean it when I say globally, global, and they're all around the world, and they're a resource. And they're very accessible. Uh, they're very into not only understanding and developing the LCA methodology and databases, uh, but they're also interested in helping the, the potential users of the life cycle to really understand the, the what, the why, the who, and how to accelerate the use of life cycle information to derive decision making. And so I find this to be a very um, rewarding and uh, a different issue uh, from some of the early environmental work that I had done, which was related to manufacturing impacts of electric utility, power plants, thermal pollution or chlorine pollution from biofouling control kind of thing, which is very site-specific. This is a global issue. A company builds a product and the aluminum comes from somewhere in country A and an ingredient comes from country B. So it's all very clearly a global supply chain. So the the global community, from the earlier CTAC work we did and the ISO work and the, the when we founded the UNEP CTAC Lifecycle Initiative, there's all these activities. They're totally all over the world. And you, you really, I find it interesting. You've got the American Center for LCA here in North America or in the U.S. You've got the Forum for Sustainability through Lifecycle Innovation, which is headquartered in Berlin that I co-founded uh, with a, a couple of folks. And it's really representing the sort of the life cycle community on a global basis. But there are country networks like for in Latin America, New Zealand, Indonesia, you know, Sweden, and number of number of countries around around the world. But you've got you've got that. You've got all of the universities now, or many universities are adding the LCA curriculum, and even business schools and engineering schools have added life cycle thinking and LCA as part of their engineering and, uh, and business school program. So it's really quite amazing now that we're seeing more and more of this being sort of embedded in what people do. When they hear the word life cycle assessment, they're still a little fuzzy about what it actually the micro detail, but they do understand from a life cycle thinking perspective that impacts occur from raw materials acquisition through the processing, through the use, to the selling it to the a retailer, and then you and I as a consumer buying it. And the original idea was it was a cradle-to-grave perspective because the whole recycling industry wasn't really developed yet. But now it's more of a cradle-to-cradle perspective, and people are looking at it in the design stage, and this is your client base is, you know, the innovation teams. You know, how do you design that product? So not only it, it, you understand the hotspots at the various stages and maybe energy in one place and greenhouse gas in another and, and, and water use in, in another, and then how do you know what those uh, hotspots are? And then how do I begin to reduce that and make my next um, evolution of that product a greener uh, perspective? And I think that's, I find, very, very exciting. Uh, and I really see that this is really going to be a, a, a great time for the life cycle and sustainability uh, professionals. But we have heard also, and you've heard the term, and I'm sure the conversation has come in your organization and, and your customer base as well. This artificial intelligence is going to take over, and there's not going to be any need for doing LCAs because it will be all done by the artificial intelligence tool. And I think that's, I think that's, it's. I'm still open to what, how that's going to 
evolve. But I do think there's still enormous opportunity for for LCA and sustainability professionals to really look at continually to look at how do you improve some of the tools to really provide the lifecycle data in a timely fashion based on the time that's needed in the innovation process. So I think there's still a lot of activity in the innovation and how do, how do those tools and innovation can be used to help help the product innovation going forward? And then how do they get access to all that data? Uh, and then how do they bring that in? So I think there's still not in the AI activity of it, but in that sort of the digitalization. Uh, and there's still going to be a lot of need for more data. Innovation occurring, new materials, new products, new ideas, new regions, and there's still going to be additional data that is required. And I think when you think about our various product golden rules, there are none of it requires not only once the results are produced, you also have to use those results and help help the user of those results understand what they mean and get away from just the technical engineering language to really something that the more in the attributes that the designer is familiar with and, and, and can use. So I think there's a great opportunity to really get into for life cycle and sustainability professionals to begin to understand the language of the, the user, whether that's the innovation team or the business, but growing revenue, uh, enhancing your brand, mitigating risk or reducing cost and the various subcomponents of that and be able to take the results of your environmental sustainability assessment and be able to translate that using the language of the the user. That was our golden rule four that we talked about a couple of uh, times ago. So I think it's an exciting time for the LCA and life cycle practitioners. And I think it really includes now, I think we're thinking about how the product managers and innovation and the innovators really began to in- integrate that sustainability information into the uh, stage gate process. You're going to have more and more people becoming familiar with life cycle thinking, how that life cycle information can drive and create more sustainable products. So those were the sort of the, the last three. And Paul, I wonder if you had any comments on the on this last one, particularly about what you're seeing within the innovation work that your company's doing. Yeah, definitely, Jim. So uh, first of all, it must be really personally rewarding because you did a lot of missionary work in the early days, right? And try to get people to listen, try to get people to understand. And it, I'm sure many times it felt like an uphill battle. Now to see it coming down the hill and just gathering momentum without, without anybody pushing it is, is, yeah, it must be very personally rewarding. You mentioned life cycle communities. I'm looking at the innovation communities, the committees and the subcommittees and the subcommunities, and it's starting to get traction there. I really hope that I'd like to see it more, the innovation conferences out there. It's still not enough in the limelight, but hopefully we can get talk tracks on the public stage for the innovation conferences out there where there's a speaker talking about these topics. I think there's a little bit of ways to go there yet, but I think it will just just happen because it's, the, like you said, it's just uh, moving down. That's my my kind of perspective on it. I can tell you from a our customers that are doing portfolio, governance, stage gate, agile, whatever the methodologies they're running, they're all asking us now, hey, how do we, how do we embed sustainability, decision making, sustainability data? How do we include that in? So, uh, yeah, that's my experience on it. 
No, that's good, Paul. And I do think I was talking to someone yesterday about how to get a sort of a, a multi-company activity together in a in somewhat in a competitive space. And I shared with her a little bit of my experience with the PSRT and some of the sort of lessons learned uh, as part of my career reflections that I that I, I think I've sent you in the past. Uh, I'll resend it, and you can you can post it with this podcast episode. But it really got into really following the A B C D process. Think about, okay, what is the problem that we're trying to solve related to bringing everybody together to integrate sustainability life cycle into the innovation process? And then, okay, what does the future look like? What do we want that future to, to look like? And then you get into themes and then how do you make it happen in a pre-competitive space? And you, you, and so it's a pre-competitive space that I think is is where the excitement is. I mean, everybody, the companies are still competitive. But how do you sort of get to the point where you, you're sharing learning and then how, how best and how well you provide that learning will dictate the, the differentiation in the marketplace. But you've all come to sort of a, a common understanding of what the future is going to look like and have some examples of how to make that happen. And so this is, you know, my career, you talked about being involved with that at the beginning. I, I will be honestly say I always know when I first approached this in 1989 to really start thinking about this, I had no idea where we're headed, what we were doing, and whether life cycle would, <laughs> would be. And it was the, the most advanced we had was pollution prevention, preventing pollution at a manufacturing site than, than, you know, than, than really any kind of design issue on products. Uh, but it, it really moved very, very quickly. And it moved quickly because it, you got to the point where the users saw there was a business value, you know, growing revenue, reducing cost, et cetera, like we talked about a number of times. And the users saw that. And so I spent the last 30 plus years working with both the supply and the demand. So the supply is the LCA community, the data community. And I'll be honest with you, that's, I, I know that community. I've been involved with the community, but I, it's not my core competency. My core competency is really in in building uh, sort of multi-stakeholder groups coming to agreement on what the future looks like and coming up with plans of how to move forward. I mean, that was sort of the basis of co-founding Five Winds, a sustainability consulting company in 98, when I helped co-found the UNEP SeaTac Lifecycle Initiative in 2002, which to, be, to build that lifecycle capacity around the world and, and, and governments and business and the forum for sustainability through lifecycle innovation. <coughs> So all of those are part of that building the sort of the demand and supply. And, 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 and then the supply work was a lot of paid, but some paid, but mostly was volunteer. The whole actually the market of actually helping companies became the paid work. So it was a combination of building the market. And then that created opportunities for me in the, in the consulting sector. But now I'm very excited about it. And that's why I'm, even though I'm retired, I'm still having this conversation with you and Neil and others uh, in podcasts. It's a nice way of sharing my experiences. And hopefully people will learn and, and start applying some of these ideas. You know, Jim, that's the most amazing thing to me is the fact that people like yourselves and others, Kevin Brady, has, has, who you know. Yep, sure. Jeffrey Whitford from Millipore Sigma, our customers from Vian Devonic Covestro. I mean, everybody is willing to share what they know, spend the time, right? When do you get somebody taking an hour out of their day to share their knowledge with others, right? In this area, in this area, if people are very open and it's just 
I think it's very refreshing. And so you've been really super, a good friend of the innovation community to take the time you've spent preparing for these podcast sessions and, and, and sharing your, your insights. It's so great to see. And I, I can't thank you enough for, for all that you've done so far. And I know we're not done talking. We'll have more ahead of ourselves, but this has been a, a really great thing that you shared with us. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. And I do think it's, it, to me, it's the, the sort of the enthusiasm, excitement, and commitment of some of the current and upcoming generations, I think it will see more and more acceleration of incorporating sustainability into the in the, the product product innovation. And so my message to them is be part of the transformation and do it now. And so, yeah, I look forward to having more conversations with you. And I think this whole sustainability innovation, I've got a chapter with Al Iannuzzi that I'm writing is on sustainable innovation is the next frontier to greener products are even more sustainable products. So, Paul, thanks again. And I look forward to continuing to have conversations and future conversations. Great, Jim. Great, Jim. You have a great week ahead. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was, again, a lot of fun, very informative, a lot of information to, to glean there. We'll have show notes. We'll have links in there, especially links to the previous episodes. So you can go find those. Let's just keep the dialogue going. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.